You know, before expectant parents could actually watch their baby develop and grow through ultrasound, and even the more amazing 3D ultrasound, what was the first thing they did after the baby was born? Chances, fingers and toes. <laughs> you got it right. You stole my line. <laughs> you know, chances are they checked the baby over and counted fingers and toes. And if their child looked perfect, they would then breathe a sigh of relief. You know, there's no greater joy than the birth of a perfect baby. But what if something is wrong? What if your baby isn't perfect? Then what do you do? You probably start asking questions. And the first question is almost always, why? Why? Why did this happen to my baby? And then we turn in perspective and say, did I do something I shouldn't have done? Or didn't do something I should have done? Why isn't my baby perfect? There must be a reason. Well, those same questions must have gone through the mind of the mother of a baby who was born blind in Palestine some 2,000 years ago. What did I do wrong? Her question, however, probably didn't relate to prenatal care so much as it did to sin. Why is God punishing me and my baby? What did I do? That same question went through the minds of the disciples as they left the temple with Jesus and saw the man who had been born blind. Their immediate reaction was to ask the question, who sinned? We pick up the account in the first two verses of the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Who sinned? Whose fault is it? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Now to us, the suggestion that the man might have sinned seems ludicrous because he was born blind. But the rabbis who insisted that all suffering was a punishment for sin taught that prenatal sin was possible. They pointed to the fact that Esau and Jacob struggled in the womb. And the psalmist wrote that the wicked are estranged from the womb. Now what they read into the text is not there but they had to place the blame in their mind on somebody, and it was easier to blame the baby than the parents. After all, the baby couldn't defend his or her actions in the womb, and he wouldn't get upset like parents would if they were accused of sin. Anyway, the disciples asked the question that most Jews of the day would ask in a similar situation, who sinned? 
Jesus' response is interesting. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. The question was, who sinned? This man or his parents? Jesus' answer was neither. The blindness was the result of neither the man's sin nor the parents. Now, I'm sure that answer would have been a great relief to the man's parents if they had been there and heard it. You know, if they had rejected the prenatal theory, they had no doubt lived under a cloud of guilt about their child's condition since his birth. But now Jesus says, it's not your fault. What happened to your child is not your fault. And I'm sure there are a lot of parents who would like to hear those words today. It's not your fault. What happened to your child is not your fault. But before we jump to any conclusions, we better remind ourselves that sometimes the parents or the children are to blame for the suffering that's being experienced. Sometimes we're going through things that are the result of sin, our sin, our parents' sin, or even a child's sin. So let's look at those possibilities before we assume Jesus is telling us it's not your fault. Who sinned? Sometimes it is the individual. In Romans 2.9, Paul writes, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. And in Romans 1.27, discussing the consequences of sexual perversion, Paul speaks of receiving in their own persons, their own bodies, the due penalty of their error. Sometimes the tribulation and distress we're going through is a direct result of our sin, of our doing something that is wrong, perhaps even evil. Sometimes suffering and sickness, diseases and infections are due to sin. They're the due penalty of sin, and quite often they are sexual sins. We can't automatically rule out a connection between our sin and the suffering we're experiencing. Sometimes there is a direct connection. The writer of Hebrews reinforces this truth by reminding us of the exhortation that is addressed to us as sons in Proverbs. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And then he goes on to help us appreciate God's discipline by telling us why he does it and what he wants to accomplish through the discipline. So yes, sometimes our suffering is God's discipline 
for disobedience. And as children, things may not be going well for us because we've not only sinned against God, but because we have disobeyed our parents. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know, a lot of horrible things happen to children because they disobey their parents. They get killed playing in the street when they were told not to play there. They burn down homes with matches or lighters that they were told they should never play with. They destroy their minds and bodies by using drugs and alcohol that had been strictly forbidden in their home. And we could go on and on with examples, but I think you get the idea. If we disobey God or our parents, the bad that happens to us may actually be our own fault. It may be the consequence of our sin. So don't dismiss that possibility until you've looked for personal sin and the related consequences in your life. We can't just assume it's not our fault. Next, we note that it's also possible that some of the bad things that have happened in our life are indeed the consequences of our parents' sin. When stressing the importance of keeping the Ten Commandments, God warned the people that he was a jealous God and that he would visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And he repeated that warning several times in the Old Testament. Now, he does make it clear in Ezekiel 18.20 that the person who sins will die, that the son will not bear the punishment, the eternal consequences for the father's iniquity. The son will, however, often have to bear the temporal consequences for his father's sin. He won't be condemned eternally. He won't suffer spiritual death because of his father's sin. But as the people of Israel noted, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What we do affects our children, both for good and for evil. And the temporal consequences of our sinful choices can sometimes be devastating for our children as a natural consequence of our sin. Or, on rare occasion, as a direct act of discipline from God. You know, the prophet Nathan made it very clear to David that the child conceived by Bathsheba after he raped her would die because of his sin. Now, God didn't condemn the baby because of David's sin. As we noted in Ezekiel, the son will not bear the eternal consequences of the father's sin. But the baby did die. God took the baby away from David. David was the one being disciplined here. And it was indeed a harsh discipline for David. But it drew him to his knees in repentance as nothing else could have. So yes, bad things do happen to children 
because of their parents' sins. On occasion, they may be the direct action of God to discipline a parent, but most often, they're simply the natural consequences of sin. Children can be born blind because of a mother's drinking or drug use. And children suffer greatly in life because parents fail in their responsibility to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. There are also times when bad things happen and the blame cannot be placed on anyone in particular. Who sinned? This man or his parents? As Jesus made very clear, sometimes it is neither. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Now, before we explore the idea that sometimes no one in particular is to blame for the bad things that happen, we need to clear up a potential misunderstanding of the text here. Jesus made it clear that it was neither the man nor his parents who were to blame for his blindness. We understand that part. But things get muddied up as we go on and finish the verse. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. It sounds as if the man was intentionally created blind just so the works of God could be displayed in him, so he could later be healed by Jesus. Now, I have a problem with that understanding, even though most translations do give that impression. I don't believe God intentionally causes bad things to happen to innocent people just so he can later use them to display his glory. Now, I realize he is the potter, and we have no right to argue with the one who made us. He can make us into beautiful vases or vases or into very utilitarian pots. That's his choice. I also realize that God will allow us to be tested. He allows the accuser, Satan, a certain degree of freedom in testing our character. And those tests can come in the form of suffering and pain, as, as Job so clearly demonstrates. And I also realize that when bad things happen to us, God can use them, bring good out of them if we love him and are willing to let him work in our life. But I do not believe it can be supported biblically that God arbitrarily afflicts some just so he can later use them to showcase his power and glory, unless you so interpret this passage. Well, obviously, I don't believe that's what this passage teaches. Now, you may have noticed that the words, it was, that, and a second, it was, were all italicized in the New American Standard Version. They were italicized to indicate that they are not a part of the original text. They are not found in the Greek. 
the translators inserted them in an attempt to make the sentence more understandable. But unfortunately, they also slant the interpretation of the passage. If we leave them out and remove the period after verse 3, because punctuation marks were not in the original Greek either, we get a different picture altogether. Rather than reading, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man worked. It now says, neither this man sinned nor his parents. But in order that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. Now, if that reading is correct, Jesus simply answered their question, who sinned, this man or his parents, with neither. Neither this man sinned nor his parents. That was his answer. Neither. And he offered no explanation for the man's blindness. He said, in effect, let's not get into a theological discussion about this man. Let's just do something about his condition. Let's not worry about the cause of this man's blindness. Let's just do what God has enabled us to do about his condition. Let's do the work we've been sent to do while there is still time to do it. Now, I have to admit, that doesn't fully answer the question, who sinned? You know, two suggestions were eliminated, but the blame wasn't placed on anyone. And sometimes that is the best way to deal with such questions. But as we've seen, there are also times when it's obvious that a situation has arisen because of someone's sin. Through disobedience or rebellion or stupidity, we've brought something bad upon ourselves. And the suffering we're experiencing is the natural consequence of our behavior. There are also times when God disciplines us to call attention to something wrong in our life. When bad things happen that don't seem to have a direct correlation to a specific sin, we still need to ask ourselves, is God trying to tell me something here? Is there something I need to deal with that I've been ignoring? If we recognize that there is, we repent. And we thank God for loving us enough to discipline us. We must also realize that there are times when we do suffer because of the sins of our parents or someone else that we can and do reap the consequences of the sins of others. And if someone else's sin can be identified as the cause of our suffering, we deal with it appropriately and graciously. We forgive those whose sins have affected us. We then seek strength, and we, we seek strength from our Heavenly Father to endure that which we must face through no fault of our own. And we try to bring healing to all who are involved and have been involved in the situation. So there are times when blame can be placed on ourselves or on others. 
but other times when it cannot. There are times when the suffering we experience is simply the result of living in a fallen world. When we are reaping that which has been sown by the rebellion of generations before us. And there is no one in particular to blame. That was true in this case. When Jesus said, neither. When that is true, we simply ask for strength to endure. And we thank God for the promise of a perfect life, unaffected by sin, that will be ours for all eternity when this life is over. We then ask for the wisdom and strength and grace to do what we can do now to make this life better for all who are hurting. And we work the works he has commissioned us to do while there is still time to do it. So it's not always necessary or possible to lay the blame at someone's feet. And unless it can be laid at our own feet and we can do something about it, it really doesn't matter who sinned. The most important question is not whose fault is it, but who can bring forgiveness and healing? And the one who can do that, obviously, is the Son of God. Through him, we can find forgiveness for our sins and the grace to forgive others. Through him, we can be freed from a cloud of, a cloud of guilt or a fog of bitterness that can darken our lives. Through him, we can find the strength to endure the suffering that comes our way. We can do so if we will but confess our failures and surrender to his lordship over us and then trust him to display in our lives the works of God for all to see. If we'll surrender to him and his will for us, we'll not find a need to ask who sinned. Amen? Let's stand.